We are on the cusp of a new era of leadership, one where we redefine and integrate all that it means to be a leader. Join me and Luna Battaglia for a potent conversation that will help you understand what it takes to become a fully integrated leader. In this episode, you'll learn about leading from a place of devotion, how leadership is truly a circular exchange, why the path of self-initiation is necessary for today's leaders, the truth about cult dynamics, and how to self-regulate your nervous system so that you show up from a truly embodied state. Luna Battaglia is a transformational alignment and leadership mentor with a master's degree in spiritual psychology and is the creator of the Alignment Code and the Self-Initiation Deck. She is working at the intersection of the human and the holy. Luna's mission is to support service-oriented changemakers in leading legacy-leaving legacy lives, families, communities, and organizations through a path of self-initiation, where they align their outer choices with their inner wisdom. Over the last decade, she's assisted thousands of visionaries through one-on-one -on -one mentorships, online group programs, in-person workshops, and transformational retreats to cultivate unshakable confidence and offer their personal contributions to a collective legacy we can all be proud of. If you dig this episode with Luna, I highly encourage you to check out her new offering. Actually, it's an offering that she shares every year, and it's truly a, a beautiful offer for leaders. It's called the Muse Mastermind. Just go to www.lunaloveleadership.com forward slash muse. And of course, if you dig our conversation, please do share this episode with a friend and drop a rating and review on iTunes. As I say to you always, every single rating and review helps get this podcast out to more leaders around the world. And of course, don't forget to grab a copy of my book, Potent Leadership. It's available on Amazon and Audible. Just head to potentleadership.com. And finally, if you would like to connect with me via text message and start receiving weekly Potent Truth straight to your phone, just text hashtag Potent Truth to 1781-336-0160. Now it is time to learn how to become a fully integrated leader with Luna Battaglia. Beyond the narrative, underneath the veil of illusion and deep within your center, therein lies potent truth. Welcome to Potent Truth, where today's leaders, changemakers, and light carriers come together to question the narrative, arrive at potent truth, and lead with sovereignty. What is potency? It's who you are beneath the masks, facades, and protective gear. It's the medicine humanity yearns for, cries out for, prays for, and needs. Your potency is what sets you apart, magnetizes your following, and creates movements. Join me, Ruby Fremont, for weekly guidance, channeled messages, and potent conversations that will take you on a journey of self-discovery. I am here to guide you to a place of unraveling the programming that's been keeping us stuck for generations, unlocking potent truth and expressing it through sovereign leadership. 
It's time for change. It's time for potent truth. Hey leaders, I am back with another episode of Potent Truth. And on today's episode, I am going to be sharing with you the divine presence of a very incredible soul sister who we've known each other actually for quite a few years, but we only just recently started diving deep um, since both of us now live in Austin. And her work is very similar to mine, but she has her own twist on all of it, her own magic to all of it. And she is one of the most devoted leaders, women, coaches that I've ever met in my entire life. And so I'm really excited and honored to share her with you today. So Luna, welcome to Potent Truth. Thank you so much. You got me tearing up already. (laughs) So beautiful to be, to be welcomed here and to be seen in that way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So something that I've really been enjoying lately are your prayers. And for, for those of you listening, you know, I've been talking a lot about how 2021 brought me to my knees and I redefined my relationship with God and I've been in prayer and just exploring that space. And your prayers truly inspire me. There's like a, a different vibration of medicine in, in the prayers. There's a depth that I think lacks in a lot of prayers. So I'd love it if you were to open up our conversation today in prayer. Sure. Mother, Father, God, sweet spirit of all life, we just come humbly with this prayer, this prayer to be of service, to allow this gift of our lives to be used, to be used fully that every choice we make be an expression of our gratitude for this opportunity to be alive, to share our voices, to share our presence, to share the way that you move through us, to share the way that we allow this dance with you to be expressed in form on this earth and the way that we do this all in care for one another and care for our, not just our lives, but the lives of everyone and the seen and unseen, the little, the little creatures and the big ones and the environment that, that holds us. And just allowing our time together to be fruitful, to be, to be used well and to be used wisely and to be used in honor of the opportunities that we have here. Such a blessing. And we just ask that this space be held in dignity and reverence, and that what is to unfold today happens to unfold with grace and with deep, deep trust in what you're bringing forth for the highest good of, of all beings. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Mm, thank that you. Was, that was beautiful. <laughs> um, I'd love to start there, actually. Uh, prayer has been a prayer was a deep medicine for me way back when, uh, when I was a practicing Sikh, uh, I went to Sikh school. I learned all my prayers. I would pray twice a day up until I was 20 and met the pits of rock bottom and thought God left me. 
And then I went through my phase of denouncing God and found spirituality probably a decade later and then have rekindled my relationship with God. But I, in my personal experience with prayer now versus how I used prayer before, which was to almost like a, I have to do this because this is what we do as a practicing Sikh. This is what we do. This is how I keep the good in my life. This is how I make sure my life continues to experience abundance and joy and love. It really came from that fair based place. Whereas now my prayer comes from this deep relationship, a, a knowingness that I am not alone, as well as that be has become my space to lean in. And I feel like as leaders and of uh, facilitators for leaders, coaches for leaders, we hold a lot of space and prayer allows me to feel held and it's been a really nice coming home experience and I'd love to hear about your experience with prayer mm. I grew up in a Roman Catholic family with a mom who practiced didn't practice practiced didn't practice was connected disconnected and my grandma was the one who was like going to church all the time and I went to Catholic school from grades one through 12. And when I was in maybe fifth grade, we had the Encarta CD-ROM encyclopedia. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> and I came home from school. I had a nun that year and I was always disrupting class. I was always getting in trouble for asking questions. I was curious, like, are you saying this literally? Like, I just had all these questions about how things were being taught. And I would get sent out into the hallway because I was disrupting the class. And I would have to like sit in a chair outside the door and like listen to the class until it was over because I couldn't like participate correctly. And I went home on Encarta and I looked up religion and I read, and then it had the blue words, which were like hyperlinks to a different article, encyclopedia article. And I basically read about Taoism and Buddhism and Hinduism and Judaism and all these religions, including agnostics and atheists. And I was reading, reading, reading. We had dinner. I went to, went to bed. I like got up and like snuck out and like kept reading. And my mom woke up at some hour of the night and I was on the computer. And she's like, what are you doing? Go to bed. And I was like, I'm agnostic. <laughs> and she was like, that's great. Go to bed. We'll talk, to her in the, talk about it in the morning. And I just kind of resonated with this I don't know place that felt like that title uh, encapsulated a little bit of what I was experiencing. Then I continued to go to Catholic school and just kind of like ask for different um, projects and papers. And when I was in high school, it was much more established in like, I'm an atheist. And it was this identity that I felt a little bit righteous in. Like I knew something that other people didn't, hadn't woken up to. And I very much adopted like a more like Bill Maher kind of religiosity kind of attitude and felt a lot of like pride, righteousness in like my knowing of this like secret that like, come on guys. Um, and I think it was really about the religion piece. And thankfully in my high school, they gave me a lot of space to part participate in the ways that felt really 
good and authentic for me. And then as I started to get older, I started to have a lot of spiritual experiences and awakenings. And and in my early 20s, I was hanging out with this group of people and they were like, you got to stop calling yourself an atheist because you're very spiritual and it's giving the rest of us like a bad name. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, I'll look at that. So I did. And I slowly started to reclaim my relationship with God outside of religion. And it was, it's been a really powerful thing for me to be in relationship with. And it feels so much more like romance and union and marriage, my relationship with God that, that is about relationship and intimacy and the more willing I am to be intimate in that relationship, the more beauty and benefit I get from it. And the more I feel moved and inspired by it. And when, and it's easy, just like any relationship to, to kind of pull away from that a little bit or be disconnected or be distracted by other things like productivity. And whenever I feel that, I feel such a big difference in my life. And so it's always an anchor to come back to that relationship. And it, and like, the words and the flavor and the expression tend to change day by day over the years, but there's a, there's a root of the relationship. And I, th- I don't think of, I'm using God in this like personified way. However, I think of it as like breath, as life, as death, as, as the everything and the nothing. So that's a little bit of my journey. Mm, wow. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a visceral difference that you can feel when one is sharing something from their heart versus when one is sharing for the sake of sharing, um, for the sake of identifying with something, for the sake of a label, for the sake of doing. And it's something that I see often, observe often in the leadership space, not just in terms of prayer, but in anything, in the way that people are showing up. They're lacking the real embodiment, which I see reflected in you all the time. And I know that your work is really based in this space. And so I'd love to open up the conversation into that, into leadership, because I think both you and I can fully agree that we are going through an evolution for leadership. We are currently working to redefine leadership. And it's also something that uh, there's an energetic in humanity that, that is actually craving the shift, that wants this shift. But part of this shift, and why don't we start here? I feel like part of the shift in redefining leadership is not even redefining it into something totally new but bringing it back to what it once was before this patriarchal system that is in place. Curious to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think similarly, like a redefinition is not something totally new, but it's an integration. Just like for me, my healing processes are not about getting rid of something and claiming something new. They're about the integration of all the parts. And so I think of leadership in the same way. We're healing this kind of poor, poorly used definition and 
more than a definition and embodiment that was that is incongruent to what I think leadership actually is. And so we can define it all we want with words, but day it's really about like how we show up day in and day out and, and how our being and our bodies are expressing that. And like I mentioned with the atheist piece, it was this quality of righteousness. And I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I think, are you? You don't know. I don't, that's like the one that I don't follow. <laughs> and I know you, you really follow that. So yes. we might have to have another conversation about that. Yeah. I think you're an eight. I think you're an eight, but, um, and like most people who are like, I'm an eight, I'm like, you're not an eight. <laughs> what is an eight? An eight is like, it's actually the most intense archetype on the Enneagram. An eight is known as like the chief, the leader, the boss, the like, it's a little bit, the leader, um, Martin Luther King, um, Mother Teresa, like big people in the world, but eights can be the definition of this kind of leadership that we're talking about, that we're trying to heal and in their shadow. And also the deep care, the sense of justice, the sense of service, the care for everyone. Like that's such a core piece. Justice, fighting for justice is such a core piece of what eights are moved by. And when, when brought in with humility and compassion, like an eight really thrives and can change the world. Mm. And so that, that sense of righteousness of like, I know something that I want people to listen to in my teens and early twenties is like the humility piece is such a big part of that, that my relationship with God, spirit, life has really helped me to remember this phrase of like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I forget that phrase so much, but just coming back to like, I don't know. I don't know what's the best thing for everyone. I don't know what this means. And so, so for me, it's like, we're in this emergent process of allowing leadership to be defined and expressed through the emergence of our, our culture and when responding to the needs of our personal selves, of our culture, and really looking at, okay, this is where we're at right now. How do we respond? How do we respond in the best way possible, which like in a year from now, we might look at it and be like, that wasn't the best way, but it was for right then because that's what we were able to do. So I think leadership is really an emerging curious place that if more people were curious about what that is and saw leadership as leading your life every day through your choices, leading your family through your choices, leading your community and your organizations. And we looked at leadership as something that we were all doing and not just for like a certain group of people that the whole culture would change because it's focused on personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah personal responsibility, which um, it, it's almost like we're shifting from the, the, the dictatorship feeling essence that is found in leadership today to like, wait, how are we all contributing to this? Let, let's take a look at that. Let, let's bring it back to the more tribal ways of, of how we function as a society and as a community. Yeah, and it becomes a more circular exchange of power versus a top down where it's like not only are people claiming those spots for themselves of of leaders, but then let's call it like 
just for the sake of this triangle of top down, these lower people are going, yeah, yeah, you make my decisions for me. And that sense of disempowerment versus like, oh, I'm the leader of my own life. I'm the leader of my body, my community, my family. And like every choice I make is, is making an impact, is a powerful choice. And I think when we start to look there, the whole culture changes and the structures and systems of power and like false leadership begin to not have as much weight when everyone starts to see, oh, I'm, I'm leading my life and I'm a leader too. And this is how my leadership is expressed. And maybe I don't run a huge organization, but that doesn't make me any less of an impactful leader. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I feel that, that, that is definitely the direction um, that I've been feeling and leaning into and also just deeply desiring for humanity. It, and I've observed that a lot of, a lot of the discussions that are taking place now are bringing us back into a sense of community, the importance of community, the importance of really understanding how we are operating as a community but also um, with the personal responsibility piece, which is huge. And I think for a long time in leadership and then with the rise of digital, the digital space being what it is, and now everyone can claim to be anything that they want essentially with the taps of their thumbs, right? You can claim to be anything by just putting in your IG bio, by sticking it on your homepage and ta-da, you are this expert in X, Y, and Z. And there's like no rites of passage anymore at all. And we're left to really utilize our discernment. However, in a world that we're living in with so much, um, content information being pushed at us every single day, it becomes harder to discern between what's true and what's not, unless we are actually also doing our own inner work to be in that space. So when it comes to your views on where we are taking leadership, how do you see One, how do you see the impact of the digital space on leadership today? And then two, how do you feel we could best start to shift our relationship with the digital space to expand and really fully redefine our leadership? Yeah, I have so many little tendrils that are pulling me in different directions here around this that I love this question I'm gonna like hold the digital space for the end um there's my work is particularly around rites of passage around initiation around not me initiating my clients or anyone but for them to choose self-initiation self-initiation and I'm creating the container for them to have that process of clarifying where they're going and severance from parts of the world and parts of themselves in order to really focus on that inner work and be, be really forged by the fires of their experience to 
in an intentional way to step into what's next. And what's next is not just for them, but it's it's always for what they're bringing back to the community. And when you look at tribal rites of passage, not everybody goes. And for those who can't go, those who do are bringing the prayers and the wisdom and the, the information that's being received back to their family. It's not a personal, it is a personal journey and it's not a personal journey. It's always in service to what am I going to bring back to my community? And that might be prayers, songs, wisdom, but it's also your presence. You're bringing back a a totally newly incarnated aspect of your being. And I think that our, so my work is really focused on this maturity and primarily I work with women leaders and founders of organizations and and entrepreneurs. And so I'm going to talk about this through the lens of the feminine, but it's really applicable for any uh, gender identity. It's really about the maturity. So I call like mature feminine mother archetype, similar thing. And when we're in the uninitiated place, which is not a bad thing, it's just a stage of our ages and evolution that, that we're in at different times. And so Historically, in the feminine archetypes, that would be the maiden. And that maiden is all about identity, right? So when we're in our kind of like Saturn return phase, it's all about adolescence phase. It's all about us. It's all about who am I? I'm figuring this out. And so you see people putting up their titles on their Instagram bios and all these things and presenting in a certain way that's really about them being seen because it's it's helping to craft the identity. So when we can look at that and not judge or shame it, but to go, okay, this is someone who's figuring it out. And this is, these are the spaces that we have, these internet spaces, these LinkedIn profiles, IG bios. This is the spaces that we have to figure it out. You know, I've been on podcasts for probably, I don't know, eight, nine years. And like that bio that you have to send, it's like, it's constantly changing and evolving. You're always like, this is so weird. Like, I don't know what to say. Um, and it feels so incongruent to, for me, the type of way that I want to be in relationship with people. So I think that there's an acceptance and an understanding of the, the phases that we go through in our initiation process and that it's, it's helping us to, to craft our identity and that these are, experiences that we're having and and that this is the arena in which we get to practice in and it's weird it's very different and I'm someone who loves going on solo nature trips and vision quests and going out into the wilderness by myself so I'm that's not the most common thing these days um but and so that's a different place where that's crafted But for those people who don't have access to that or don't feel safe doing that or don't even know that that's an option or don't, yeah, don't feel comfortable or safe, this is where we're exploring that, this digital space. And so I think the first part of the self-initiation process is to have the humility, like the healthy maiden seeks guidance and mentorship. The unhealthy maiden is like, I got it. I'm figuring it out on my own. Like it's, it's all about me. And the healthy maiden is like, I know I'm not initiated. I know I'm not in this place and it's okay that I'm here. 
who can I find to support me in that journey? How can I be humble and have humility in that journey? And I think that when, like, we have to really look at that. And you talked about discernment. And for me, discernment starts in my body, listening to those somatic cues and checking in, taking what I call a somatic snapshot of my body, of my nervous system to sense where, where I'm being guided. And so this quality of discernment is something that a lot of us have been conditioned out of because of those power systems that we talked about, because of the ways that we were raised, because of those archetypes of leadership that said, no, you don't know. Don't, you don't know. You don't know what you need. I know what you need. Listen to me. And so we're unlearning that. And so it's understandable that we're kind of trying to grasp onto these things that give us power, that give us identity, to give us authority by putting these labels here. And as I've grown up, I've seen that like my work is really like, I'm just here to create the space for you to have a witness and a friend and a guide to have the space for to support your journey and that you know best. And anyone who, for me, anyone who tells me like, I have the answers for you, I have some codes for you. I received some codes for you. I'm like, I personally feel like I want to run in the opposite direction. Um, I want teachers and leaders who are like, you know what's best for you. And I'm going to help you more deeply connect to yourself and your body and, and like clear the things that are blocking, help you to clear, help you to choose to clear the things that are blocking you from really trusting and um, living without doubt. And so to me, that discernment piece really starts in our bodies and our nervous systems. And to also have the compassion of like understanding that we're all trying to figure this out in this new arena and we are going through rites of passage. And so how would I treat someone in my community who might be going through that and who might be on the other side of that? And I'll talk about the last tendril that came up, which is like cult dynamics and like victim perpetrator dynamics. Because I think this is a big thing that we see a lot of is like these articles being written about people who have positioned themselves in leadership or who have been positioned by their audiences into a place of power and leadership and authority. And then they make a human, they have a human experience that can be judged as not fitting into that expectation of leadership that we crafted for them. And then the articles get written about how they're awful, horrible people who are manipulating people who shouldn't have this title and shouldn't be in this place. And like, that's something that I think definitely has its place. And the way that we're doing it in the digital age with like cancel culture is also not something that I'm um, respectful of or have a lot of tolerance over because I think human beings making choices and healing and being in relationship and being in leadership is so nuanced and deserves such a space of curiosity and, and nuanced um, willingness to understand and hear and com the complexities of relationships that happen. And when we position people in leadership or they position themselves that way, and then they have a human experience or somebody else has a human experience in relationship, relationship to them that is crafted through this lens of you created harm, and then this is like a one-way conversation of like witch burning, they created harm, that they're the bad person. It's just so hard in the digital age to like, you have to really 
there's this fine line of like not caring and caring deeply. <laughs> the like, I don't, you know, you have to like cancel yourself kind of first so that it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And also like be really curious when people bring you feedback. Mm. Yeah. Um, so many things. <laughs> One, um, going back to what you were saying about the people offering codes and downloads. I mean, I always look at that, like the codes are the cop out. Like it's just a, it's a power trip. It's a, it's a, a, a moving away from self and leaning into something external of you to try and find the answers. And then the clients that you're calling in are those who are in usually weaker states where they are seeking an external solution to their problems, you know, a magic button fix. And that's not leadership at all. That's like when you assume the role of the person doing the healing and that that's not true at all. Yeah. It becomes like a Messiah thing. Like I have something for you that you don't have. And I think of like one of the people who's um given that title like Jesus in history is like that's not what he was saying at all (laughs) like the kingdom of heaven is within so if that just one phrase is all we take away and it's all about deep like when we talked about God in the beginning and I talked about it in this like marriage union like romantic way it's like I have to go deep 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 within myself to access that and I think for gaining my like welcoming and integrating the wisdom that is that God is granting me and blessing me with is not to say that I don't have something that's valuable to offer people, but to say it in a way that they need it because they can't access it themselves to me is like totally the opposite of what, what leadership is and what what real healing has to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real healing is not, um, you know, there's the disempowered view of, of healing where we go to the healer and get healed. And there's the empowering view of healing where we dive deep within our inner, innermost realms to heal ourselves. And we may lean into different tools um, you know, like plant medicine or or Reiki or like something in the health and wellness space or a book or a poem, like we'll take something and use that as a tool, but the real work is done in our innermost realms. And I have felt like that's the piece, like that is the piece that is missing the most in this weird and I, and I talk about this in my book, that the, the influencership era of leadership, which is where we are, that whole concept of inner work is missing. Like, it's just not there. Even in the times of, of like, when my dad was, um, you know, finding his, creating his, for, forging his path as a leader in his space and in the real estate space, just as an example, even they had a a sense of like okay I have like a self-initiation process that I have to go through and I remember my dad would drive me to school every day and we would listen to a different Tony Robbins tape like he had 
these collections of like 50 Tony Robbins motivational tapes, Bob Proctor, like all those guys, all those legends. And we would listen to this. My dad would read these personal development books. And so I grew up seeing that. And now here we are in the influencership era of leadership where you can call yourself anything, where you can bypass so much, where you can cut corners. And all of a sudden, here we are in 2022 and everyone can fucking channel light beings. Like what is going on? (laughs) And like, maybe they can, I don't know. And like, maybe, you know, I, I don't know if that's good or bad. And like, yes, we're doing, maybe we are doing all this inner work and it's allowing us to have more access to psychic gifts. And like, this is a beautiful thing that's happening. I have no idea. And my, my natural protection mechanisms that I've adopted in my life move me towards judgment of like, oh yeah, look at those people and blah, 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 you know? And I have to like constantly catch myself and be like, God bless, you know, like, cool, resonate, don't resonate. I'm moving in this direction and like, God bless. And, and the thing about like the cult dynamics is I happen to be more of a devil's advocate. And like, this is going to be triggering for somebody listening. Um, I happen to be more of a devil's advocate of like, we choose relationships and yes, there is someone who is hurting who's the more unconsciously manipulative aggressive like abusive power person and there's the other person who's deeply hurting too who's like more victim seeking something disempowered and I don't necessarily look at those very differently because at the root of it they're just two people who are deeply hurting for different things that they've experienced and so it can be easy to kind of like blame these people in those positions. And at the same time, like they're just working something out. Um, And I've worked in prisons for before COVID, it was about five years, a lot, like going all the time, three day weekends and creating intimate relationships, like visiting the same places again and again, and um, building friendships with men and women in the incarcerated community. And I've sat with people who've chosen the worst choices in their life, the worst choices people could choose, kidnapping, torturing, murdering people. And and I listen to their stories and I listen to their childhood and I listen to these things and I'm like, oh, I have so much understanding and compassion. And yes, I'm not the person whose family was affected by that particular choice. I might feel very differently if that were the case. But I think that like when we look at discernment in this field, it's like, well, if someone's not discerning, if someone's disconnected from their body, that's their, that's their work, that's their trauma, that's their practice. And they might be attracted to a leader, a person, an influencer who's potentially abusing their power. And I trust that it's not like one person is harming the other necessarily, because I don't think it's intentional most of the time most of the time, but that they're coming together for some reason to learn a lesson, which might be using their voice, standing up, finding their empowerment, not seeking for others. And like, sometimes that doesn't happen and more trauma happens, which is more often the case. But I think that that lack of discernment is 
is equally on both sides. The influencer who might be saying the uninitiated things to, to have a sense of authority is equally as hurt as the person who's going to them. And so they end up being a perfect match for learning and healing. And I don't think that necessarily like one, like one person is more at fault or responsible just because they're putting themselves in that position. And yes, if you're going to put yourself in that position and be a public figure, you do have more responsibility, but I don't know if more is the right word. Cause I think we are all responsible for our own lives and our own choices. And to take, you have less responsibility is actually really putting someone in a really disempowering position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, the, what comes to mind for me when you share that is like in relationships and how there's been so many conversations that I've had where the story perpetuated from whatever breakdown is like, oh, he's a narcissist or, oh, she's a narcissist. And if I hear one more non-mental health professional use that word and like diagnose someone, it's, it's just, this is a, this is something that you would see in the, the DSM, the diagnostic manual. And like, we shouldn't just be throwing these words around without having that, that professional background to that you've sat and worked with this person as a client, just because you were in relationship with them. It's highly biased. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's actually like someone for someone to be truly a narcissist, it's a very low percentage. Um, but the way I look at it is it's easier to say that because now all of a sudden you're just shifting all the blame on this person and their corrupt behaviors for being this label, this identity, which then bypasses your own inner work, which also bypasses your own curiosity and understanding of the other person. And I feel like that's what we're talking about, but not in the romantic relationship space, but it's also in these spaces that we live in, that we thrive in, um, in the leadership space. And it is reflected in these uh, relationships that are forged in this space from the wounds, from the traumas, from the insecurities, from the unmet desires and needs. And when you had said at the very beginning of this episode about curiosity, to remain curious, like that's one of, it's become one of my life mottos, remain curious. And I think because I was bullied and and made fun of as a, as a child for a really long time, like a very long stretch of, of pretty much all of elementary school that offered me a compassionate heart to always put myself in other people's shoes. So that had become my default. Like I'm always able to do that. And I understand that not everyone is always able to do that, but there is something so humbling that comes from remaining curious, because that also means if I'm to remain curious, uh, that also means that I'm to remain um, open to the fact that I may be wrong. And that is such an important distinction for, for leadership today and where I, I feel we both see it going is that humility. It's like we can be proud, but we can also be humble in knowing what we don't know and knowing that there's a lot that we don't know. 
that we aren't aware of yet. And when we step into that energetic, we actually become better leaders. We actually become more compassionate and more heart-led versus led by our minds and the external accomplishments or goals. Yeah. Um, so the work that you do, we talked a lot about, I've heard you say a lot, the body and the embodiment. And as someone who lived out of her body for the first 20 or actually for the first 33 years of her life, same, <laughs> it feels so good to be in my body now. And I actually don't like being out of my body It's deeply uncomfortable. I remember I, I sat with Bufo for the first time last year. I was just called to Bufo and I had a panic attack at the very beginning because I could see my physical body on the ground. And I was like, I don't want to be yeah. out of my body. I yeah. don't want to be out of my body. And I heard my facilitator say, breathe. And I was so glad because I started breathing and doing breath work and I found myself back in that space. But there's, and, and, I've noticed this in the combo work that I do too, how so many people love being out of their bodies and it leads to different things. Like maybe you then become addicted, addicted to the psychedelic space, um, the escapism in some way, shape or form. But we are seeing that a lot in the leadership space now too. Whereas I don't know. Like I've always felt, I remember there was this one facilitator I had for plant medicine years ago. And she had said that the real work doesn't happen in the 5d or the 7d. The real work happens in the 3d because this is where we fucking live. Like she legit said that. And I was like, yes, like someone's finally saying it. Like, this is the world we live in. Um, so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about embodiment, the importance of being in our bodies. Um, and maybe some ways for our listeners to start uh, being more in their bodies, especially those who feel that they're here to lead. Totally. This is such a big thing. And I, because I'm an eight on the Enneagram, I always had that leadership archetype, but it was often from that place of like needing to be heard, proving like um, getting in people's faces and a lot of that came from my own sense of disempowerment and lack of lack of authority in my own life from the experiences that I had of trying to like claim it in these unhealthy ways, just to feel some sense of power versus like the chaos of life sometimes and like the rug being pulled out from under us. And that, but as a child, I had those experiences so often that it. I clung to power in an unhealthy ways and choosing disembodiment was like the way that I felt safe. So for me, that was like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, like partying and drinking and using drugs and, and being with people and not being in my body Total and like just moving through the motions and like, like I was a video game and like somebody was moving me through these places. And it wasn't until I really, I had a lot of spiritual experiences that were very 
um, like samadhi experiences, like big up here experiences. And it, and I was doing this work and I was, I was working with a shaman from West Africa for a long time. And as a, as an, as his like secondhand person for years. And I was doing all this work. I was working in the field. I was like healer, leader, whatever. But until I grieved, until I went down into my grief and really looked at the things that were the things that I was avoiding by using these addictive tendencies, including spirituality. Like I got sober a long time ago, but like even spirituality became its own um, thing that kept me away from the, the pain. And it's totally understandable that if we don't have the tools, so our nervous system goes into fight or flight. And if we don't have the tools to self-regulate or we haven't, or we don't have people in our lives who are co-regulating with us, then we go into the uh, dorsal vagal, which is the, the more like older part of our nervous system that um, like the ventral vagal is the new one. It's, it's, it's in front and it's an evolution that humans have gotten, have evolved to have curiosity, just like we were talking about earlier. But the other one is just how do I relax? How do I get out of fight or flight like automatically? And that's actually our freeze response or a dissociative response. And so when we go into that dissociation, what happens is we go, we go, we dissociate, we, our body relaxes, and then we have to come down and we go back into that fight or flight arena, that sympathetic response. And if we don't have, if we didn't have the tools here to be able to deal with that fight or flight response, then we didn't have the self-regulation and co-regulation tools. It's doubtful that we're going to have it when we come back down. So we hop back into dissociation and then it's like, oh, but to get regulated, you have to go down through note dissociation. And so it's the biggest thing for me in that um, pattern that's so many people have, like almost all of us in different ways. I think everyone's an addict in some way or another, whether it's TV or shopping or codependent relationships or drugs and alcohol, whatever, is the compassion for ourselves that we're stuck in that loop, the compassion for ourselves that we didn't have the tools or people in our lives to create safety, to understand how to self-regulate. And you can learn all the self-regulation things but unless we have compassion for ourselves for not having them, I don't think it really sticks. And that's what I've seen working with people a lot in this. Like I love bringing in polyvagal theory into my work. So the first thing for me is like looking at your life, seeing the ways that you have dissociative patterns and really having compassion for the one who had to choose that in order to feel safe, in order to survive, in order to, to have some sense of not being in chaos. And once we can relate to that past part of ourselves or even current part of ourselves who might still be choosing that, that compassion really creates the space for all the other things like, um, you know, the tools that you were talking about sharing with your audience is like, to me, somatic snapshots are your basic, basic level one, which is how do I feel in my body? Stopping throughout the day to do a check-in to go, how do I feel in my body? Oh, I feel like my chest is a little bit tight and my shoulders are a little bit high and there's like heat and heat in my low back and like a really beautiful, like relaxed feeling in my, my hands, like whatever it is, right? Just doing a little check-in to me, that's step one. And for some people, because of trauma, that's not accessible. So there's ways like to start to get back into feeling subtle things and 
Um, even numbness is a feeling, even not feeling anything is actually like, how do you know that you're not feeling anything? Like there's, you can go deeper, get more curious with it over time. There's great things that Peter Levine has around like going in the shower and letting the water like with a pulsation, like hit parts of your face and be like, this is my left cheek, right cheek. This is my, this is my neck. This is my chest. And like letting the water hit it and just naming it coming back into our bodies. Um, so these are, you know, the 101 things, but to me, a body scan, yoga nidra, uh, somatic snapshots, these are like such simple, basic things that are actually really hard for most of us. And the more consistently we do that, the more able we're, we're able to hold more. And the biggest thing that I think of that I want to share at the end of this is like, it's all about being resourced especially if you're going to put yourself in a position of leadership, it's all about being well-resourced. So we think about like, how do I, how do I prepare myself to hold, how do I prepare myself to be able to hold the difficult, the challenges, the pain body, my clients and their pain. And we focus on like, how can I be prepared for this? But we do, we, we're prepared for this by actually focusing on how we can expand our capacity for good. Because if our capacity to experience good is this big, then it doesn't matter how much you grow to be able to hold the, the, the negative. We have to be well-resourced. We have to be, so sometimes I do with my clients is like, they're, they're in like a loop. They're telling me about something stressful, a launch, a thing in their life. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, what is resourcing you right now? Right? It's such a weird juxtaposition to shift from like, all these things are going wrong ah, to like, what feels really good. And it can simply be like the texture of the sweater that you're wearing on your body, like feels really good and nourishing. And it's your favorite thing. And you put it on today, or it could be the fact that I'm sitting here with you, or it could be the fact that I have warm tea, like, and really letting ourselves let that in. It's like, oh, this is like, it's really nourishing to be here with you. It's really nourishing to be wearing my favorite silk raw silk blouse and like drinking my one of my favorite teas like to really like let that penetrate us let the goodness of the experience like let it in let ourselves receive it because now now I'm much more able to go into a challenging situation because my capacity to feel the goodness in my life gives me the resources to go there mm -hmm. yeah yeah super important to be able to shift perspective like that and to get to a point where we can do that on our own. So we are regulating our own nervous systems. So we are, um, in a, in a state of self-leadership at all times, right? Because how can we expect to lead others or lead our purpose or our vision or our mission, whatever you, you call it, if you're not really even able to lead yourself or use that discernment within yourself or regulate your own body or be in your own body. And sometimes we're not, and that's okay. And it doesn't not make us leaders. Yes. It means that we need to call a friend for help and that's yes. totally okay. And it doesn't take away any of the, the things that, that give us wisdom and, and like the ability to put ourselves in that leadership space. And like, I'm not perfect at this. I don't always have access to my full capacity and I, I do a lot more, but there's still that 
you know, few percent of time that it's not accessible. And those are the times where leadership actually looks like, hey, I can't do this on my own. Like I need help. And that's to me, that's actually much more of a, I wish more leaders in our political system around the globe would go, I actually don't, I can't do this on my own. And I would love like more people to be involved in making this huge decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's shifting from the mindset of I have to be all things for everything for everyone and be seen in a certain way at all times, because I am now taking that title of leader to, well, being a leader actually means being humble enough to admit that you don't know everything, being humble enough or courageous enough to admit that you also do need support. Something I always tell my clients is, and you're human, like, let's not forget (laughs) Because at the end of the day, beneath all the titles, beneath all the labels, beneath all the things that you want to call yourself, you are a human being in this existence. And we need to have compassion for that and love that part of us, like love the human in us, Um, the human who is crying out for support, the human who is telling you to text a friend, the human in you that's like, shit, I don't know this. We need to love that part of ourselves. Um, so yeah, I am shocked at the time right now. <laughs> it's just flying by and we are nearing the end of this episode. And I feel like we covered so much in this conversation to offer our listeners and viewers, like just another take on leadership, another perspective, and almost like a peek into where we see it going. Um, But I'd love for you to share one potent truth that really sums up the message that you want to leave people with. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Use somebody, you or your assistant sent it to me. Like that's going to be something that's asked at the end. I was like, I'm going to be prepared for this. And I totally forgot all about it. And it's like, perfect because whatever is going to come out is right now is what needs to come out. <laughs> One potent truth. Mm. No one's coming to save you. Mm-hmm. Such an important, we've heard, we've all heard this before many times, but it's something that we need to hear again and again and again and again, especially in a world, in a society that wants us to be, try and be all the things for all the people and to fit inside an identity and label. That's not how we're meant to be. And that's not how we're meant to journey and navigate this life. Yeah. And we can just like deprogram all of the like Disney princess stories we grew up on. And like, no one's coming to save you. Like at the, like helpers and healers and friends and guides are, are there. And like, at the end of the day, it's, it's a personal choice to say yes to living from our heart and remembering that it's safe to do so. And that's, that journey is, is what it is for each individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Um, Luna, you have something really incredible going on right now. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit about that. Maybe give an invitation. (laughs) 
Yeah, every year for the past seven years, this will be our eighth year, I've been doing a mastermind called Muse, Muse Mastermind, and it's a really beautiful, intimate group of eight to 10 people who primarily people who are women identified, who really want to take their their business, their projects uh, to the next level, but are doing so through the lens of what you birth births you. So I love strategy. I'm all about it. Like I will, I will co-create and craft a unique strategy for each person that I work with. And it's my jam. That's like really based on like their unique blueprint. And what I'm most excited about is, okay. And now who is this, who is this project, this goal, the success that you're trying to achieve? Like, who is it asking you to become? And that's a big part of the mastermind is like focusing on embodying those qualities that are going to get those results, not just trying to check off the, the like, I did it box of tasks. And so it's a six month program. We're going to be open in April for exploration and enrollment and uh, questions. And if anybody here feels the call, I'd love to have you. Amazing. And the link for that, everyone is lunaloveleadership.com forward slash muse. I'll have that link and more in the show notes. And um, I, I definitely recommend if you dig Luna's energy and her presence and what she shared with us on today's episode, then definitely check out the ways in which you can work with her. Um, Luna, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your presence, for sharing thank your you wisdom. For having me. Thanks for having me. I could talk to you forever. I know same right? <laughs> <laughs> aligned in so many more ways than I thought. Um, but thank you. And to our listeners and viewers, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of potent truth, where we are taking you on a journey to challenge illusion and lead with sovereignty. If you digged this episode and our conversation, please do share it with a friend and connect with us on social media. My handle is at I am Ruby and you can find Luna at Luna Love Leadership. Again, those links and more will be in the show notes. Um, make sure you check back on Monday for a brand new episode of Potent Truth. Aho family. <laughs>